Hello and welcome to Stories in Public Health. Uh, this is a podcast for people who are interested in working in the field of public health. I'm your usual host, Emily Dieter, but today I'm going to be handing over to my wonderful friend, Melina Georgisakis. Take it away, Melina. Thanks, Emily. Uh, my name is Melina Georgisakis, and I'm actually very happy to be sitting down with Emily this morning to interview her for her very own podcast, Stories in Public Health. Um, this is actually on request of a number of her Twitter followers. So we are actually delivering something that's been um, high in demand. So I'm very excited. So I've had the privilege of knowing Amelie for a number of years. Um, since she joined the peer advisory committee of a social enterprise I founded called Franklin Women. I also had the luxury of being where Amelie is right now because a few years ago she interviewed me for this podcast. So I'm very excited to turn the tables and let Amelie know what it's like. So without further ado, Amelie, I'd like to hear a bit about what you do for your, for your day job basically. You're on mat leave at the moment but you're a researcher and a lecturer at Macquarie Uni at the Australian Institute of Health Innovation where your work uses social media as a public health research tool. Now, that is pretty cool. Can you tell us a bit more about what that means? Uh, I can try. It is uh, my current job. I guess a little bit of an update for people is that it won't be where I'm working much longer. My family and I have actually decided to move to Queensland. So I will be, I guess, looking for a job soon <laughs> if anyone's in Queensland. But currently, I have been working at the Australian Institute of Health Innovation basically trying to find ways that we can use computer science and artificial intelligence to help people in public health. So find better ways to improve surveillance or health promotion, basically anything, especially around the use of data. There's a lot of big data sources out there and we're trying to find ways that computer science can actually help. I think sometimes there's a lot of fear around AI um, and computer science with people thinking it's like a replacement, but it's really about using it as a tool to actually help people improve their practice. And I took that role straight after my PhD and I think the thing about it that I liked I was very lucky at the end of my PhD I had a few opportunities to choose from and the reason I chose this role in particular was that it really scared me a lot because I didn't know anything about artificial intelligence but I thought that was actually a good reason to take it and I really feel like since I found health informatics or public health informatics I do really feel like I found my home. Like I love all public health. If people listen to this podcast, I get very overexcited about things. But I really feel like this is uh, my place, you know, trying to be a translator between computer scientists and people in public health. Yeah, I love it. That's a great take home, right? You, you brought sort of your passion of public health, but you're also learning a new skill in your role because data and digital um, is sort of a new concept in public health. So it hasn't been around forever um so i guess although that's something that interested you in your current role if we go back a little bit why were you interested in public health as a bigger discipline um altogether and how did you enter the profession that's a very good question like most people on the podcast actually it was an accident uh, i was studying health science at university and i really didn't know what i wanted to do to be honest i knew i wanted to do something that would try and help people and I took a couple of years off before I did my honours degree and travelled around and by the time I came back I sort of had developed a bit of an idea that I was interested in infectious diseases. I specifically had an interest in HIV and women's health and I also had an interest in you know, helping marginalised populations and re working in resource poor settings. So I went to the university and said can I do an honours year and these are my areas of interest and I started meeting with a few professors who worked specifically in those areas and one of them said actually there's this project in Micronesia 
would you like to go and live there for six months and roll out this survey? And that was really my start in epidemiology. So I went and lived um, on an island called Yap for half of the year and helped them roll out surveys for HIV and then came back and analysed the data. And I didn't even really know that I was doing epidemiology, to be honest, until I sort of started looking into it and realised. And at the end of that year, I was really scared of data, but because I'd actually collected the data myself, it was like the numbers were people. And so that's sort of how I got my start in data. So after that, I applied for the Master of Applied Epidemiology at ANU and I was lucky enough to get in and that's really that's really where everything kicked off and I just sort of felt like I found my people and I was very happy once yeah I was just happy once I started I was no looking back. Well there you go I just learned something about you I didn't know about your time in Micronesia so there you go this podcast has helped me as well. Uh, so I, I'm just picking on the you found your people a little segue into what I really wanted to know, which is as part of your career journey, what sort of sparked the starting of the stories in Public Health Podcast? Was it sort of a person or a project or something that inspired you or just because you wanted to learn more about these people that you identify with so much? It's also a very good question. I I think it was kind of a little bit of divine intervention, to be honest, because this is I have a thousand crazy ideas a year and... Usually I don't go through with most of them, <laughs> but I actually followed through with this one. It was a little bit of, to be honest, procrastination. I was in the last stages of writing out my PhD. And so I think there was a bit of that going on. But I actually worked at UNSW at the time and I went to the photocopier and I met this professor called Mary Louise McClaws and we just started chatting and I learned all about her work while we were talking and she does a lot of work into antimicrobial resistance and she's a WHO advisor and she's done all this work around the world. And this woman had literally been sitting across from me for a year and I had never really talked to her before. And it just really occurred to me that we're all working in these little bubbles and we're s- like I was sitting across the hall from someone I didn't even know. So it made me think that there were a lot of amazing people that we weren't hearing from and I wanted to try and, yeah, talk to them. And I, in the aims of the podcast when I wrote it all out, one of them was to give me an excuse to meet amazing people, which it really has done. But I think actually as the podcast is going on, I do love that part of it. But I think more than anything now, the main aim is I just want everyone to feel like we're all in this together. I have so many conversations with people who are struggling or, you know, a lot of people have imposter syndrome or just so many struggles that people have. And I just want everyone to know that we all have those and that collectively, if we all work together, our strength is just so much more. um, And it's okay that everyone has that. I think that's the main aim now. It's changed over time. Yeah, that's more important than ever right now, I guess, that we're all in this together. Uh, I just want to pick up on something you said, which is the imposter syndrome. So this is something that Amelie and I talk about quite often. And if anyone um, is a regular listener to stories in public health, you would know that the list of public health professionals that she interviews are are very diverse, um, you know, from PhD students, but also to directors and heads of public health. So there's some pretty impressive people that you interview. I could imagine that could be quite scary, particularly early out when you started. How, How do you grapple with that or how do you prep for it? Is there any tips or tricks or just to let everyone know that it's, I guess, imposter syndrome's real? Yeah, I don't know how to answer that. (laughs) It's just as hard now especially today I felt sick the whole way driving here Uh, it's good for me I think to know how other people feel now quite often when I interview people they always say why would anyone want to hear from me and I always think you're crazy you're doing such amazing work but then when people ask me I thought exactly the same thing 
Yeah, I've thought a lot about, I know like my catchphrase is just, you know, be scared, but breathe it, be brave anyway. I'm always telling people that. I've thought about it before this podcast about how I do it. Some of it is just ignoring it and just feeling absolute fear and going into it anyway. Yeah, one of my worst nervous moments was when I interviewed Gillian Skinner. I was so nervous to, to meet her, but then she was wonderful. I think building that level of evidence, it's getting easier to ignore all those voices in my head because I'm building an evidence bank that I did things that scared me and they actually turned out okay. But I think for me, what I really, we talk about it a lot being brave because you and I both do a lot of stuff that scares us. And to be fair, most things do scare me. So it's, it's kind of e- easy to do. But I think finding a reason behind it, there's been a few times where I was going to stop podcasting just because it does cause me a bit of anxiety. But then people tell me that it helps them. And if there's one way to get me to do something, it's to say that it helps people. So I think finding the purpose behind what you're doing and thinking that it's not about you, but it's about other people. Because I can be much braver for other people than I can be for myself. And I think that's really the way that I've been stepping through fear is just thinking that this is for other people and not for myself. But it's still not easy. But I do really want to encourage people to just try and step out of their comfort zones because... For me, that's where all the really good things are on the other side of, of all the scary things. That is, is so true. It's where the magic happens, but it's hard to get to that magic part. Really, it's it's true what you're saying, Emily, because it is, quite often we're in that position and it, we feel like it's about us. But you've given so many people a voice through this podcast, uh, which is so important. And, you know, you're nervous, but so many people being interviewed are nervous and they wouldn't do it unless you tap them on the shoulder or said that you've got something worthy to tell. And so there's quite a few people that you've given pe- uh, given a voice to through this podcast. And, you know, I know that you're being interviewed by one of your previous podcast interviewees, so you don't have to say me, but can you tell us who do you have a favourite or a few favourites of your interviews in the past? Look, it's hard to pick a favourite. I will say I've just been so blessed that so many people have said yes. That I'm, Yeah, I just feel really blessed that so many people have said yes. But I think probably one... But one that really stands out in my mind is Professor Emily Banks from ANU and mainly just because she schooled me in a really good way when I got there. I was setting up the podcast and she was like, I think it's so great that you're doing this. And I said, oh, I just feel like I'm doing a terrible job and messing it up all the time. And she could have just let that go, but she didn't. She sat me down and she had a really good conversation with me and she said, Emily, you can't walk into a senior person's office and say, hi, my name's Emily and I'm crap. (laughs) And I had worked with her before and so she said, I know that's not true, I've worked with you, but if you do it to someone else and they haven't worked with you, they don't know that's true. And I I said to her, but I really want to be my authentic self, I don't want to pretend. And she said, you can still be your authentic self. She said, say I get nervous, but don't say you're crap because that's not true and that's not actually authentic. And just that she actually took the time to sit down and talk to me about that in a really nice way and it was a really good point. Yeah, that one really sticks out in my mind. But also, I've just met so many people from overseas. I really, yeah, it's hard to pick a favourite. It's been just such an extra blessing. I didn't, extra blessing with the podcast. I think everyone's just going to have to log on themselves and pick their own favourite. Yeah, Emily is quite inspiring as a researcher and it sounds like as a person as well. So I look forward to hearing hearing her podcast. So I guess what we've already learned today is that you have had a very diverse career, but you've also wear a number of hats right now, I guess. So you're a teacher, you're a researcher, you have done this podcast, you're also an advocate for gender equality, you're a new mum. Looking back, is there 
any defining moment or achievement that you've had at work or in life that you are, are really proud of and it could be you know a win or it could be sort of a hurdle that you you've overcome that you could share with us that makes me sound really busy it doesn't oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not as busy as it sounds although I yeah I guess I do work a bit too much that's probably something I could work on I think for me one of the I do honestly believe like my best work is yet to come to be honest because I feel like I'm only just now coming into this sort of believing in myself kind of idea before I just really didn't have this didn't think I could do anything whereas now I really am getting to the point where I'll give anything a go if it doesn't work it doesn't work but I'll at least try but probably before now what I'm most proud of is my PhD first of all because I think a PhD is is an achievement in itself but and something I said to you before the interview is that something I wanted to touch upon was I do struggle with anxiety, proper clinical anxiety where I have to go and see a psychologist about it. And that was really at its peak during, I was having a really rough time with my mental health during my PhD. And so I think I'm most proud of finishing that in spite of the struggles that I was going through um, at the time. And I don't, I guess I just wanted to share that with people, not because I particularly want however many people listen to this podcast knowing you know, that I have anxiety, but it's more that I just want people to know that if they are struggling with things, it doesn't mean that you can't be successful in your career at the same time, that we all struggle and you can get better and you can just still be successful in your work. Thank you. And thank you for being brave, I guess, because there's two things in that, that, you know, we quite often don't acknowledge that doing a PhD is an achievement in itself. And quite often we talk about doing a, a PhD is only to set you up for a research career and I guess you know just doing it is something to be really proud of and it can lead you in many directions even if it isn't in academia so thanks for just acknowledging that and so many of us struggle with mental health in one way or another but I guess it's still a little bit taboo to talk about and just by using this platform to acknowledge that you know people would look at you and and what you're doing and just think you know everything is always perfect and just saying it's so not always perfect (laughs) we're sharing a microphone so I just she grabbed it off me (laughs) you know just makes other people know that you know if you if you're having a bit of a crappy time right now that's not a forever and if you get support then you can kick goals which you're doing so thank you Emily so I guess as we're getting to the end of the interview there's a few sort of big picture sort of forward thinking things I'd love to hear from you I guess you know you're saying this is just the beginning um and that also is an amazing thing to think about that you know our career is always evolving but what do you hope for the next sort of five to ten years for your career? Um, I guess I hope – I'm realising how hard it is to be interviewed. I apologise to all of my previous speakers for not acknowledging what you were going through. I guess I secretly do know, but it's like I don't want to say it out loud in case it doesn't happen, to be honest. So I love research. I never thought in a million years I would end up in a, a research role. It was never on my list of things to do, but I sort of got recruited into – research after I was working at a health department and it just has felt like coming home I love being challenged all the time I love getting to learn new things and contribute to new knowledge but it is a difficult space with funding the way it is but ideally what I'd like to do is stay in research and get my own funding and be able to develop my own projects specifically in public health informatics I really want to try and find I find a lot of people in health particularly mainly that's because I know health people but can get quite scared of some of the computer science type things so I really really would be my dream to be sort of the link that people could access computer science through and actually help people in their public health practice using informatics that would be my dream 
Amazing. Well, when you've figured out how to find that niche perfectly, let me know because I feel like this is going to be part of our sector forever now. The world is moving to data and digital. So even if we're doing basic research, we need to have that understanding. So that is an, an amazing professional aim and I'll be calling you up on it in five, <laughs> maybe not in five to 10 years. So looking back on your career, you know, having hindsight, which is also always a luxury when you're looking back, Having known what you've known now, what would you have told your younger professional self when you were just starting out in your career, your words of wisdom with what you know now? Oh, I would say three things. I would say just stop worrying. Everything's going to be okay. It's going to be more than okay. It's going to turn out awesome. I would say write papers. I think it's hard at the beginning because they're really hard. So I would encourage myself to try and write papers and I just like what I say to everyone I'd say a lot of this stuff is going to scare you but you're just going to have to do it all anyway and it'll work out okay but just keep trying things that you're not sure about yeah write papers one thing I've learned is that writing is a skill that can be practiced and learned and I never enjoyed it either but it gets better the more you do it I think that's the thing people think you either that was actually something I wanted to touch on not just writing but also data after the um, master of applied epidemiology I it was always I didn't come out the strongest data analysis. Um, anyone in my cohort will vouch for that. And it was always, I was so scared to get a job where they would ask me to do a lot of analysis. And then I got a job in academia and it turned out the main role was doing a lot of data analysis. And it turned out I actually could do it. And I have very strong analysis skills now and it's because of that job. So it's the same thing as writing. I think most of the time it's our head telling us we can't. So just really try things and then... If you can't, you can't, but at least try it first. Don't just assume. And so many things can be learned skills. I don't have a maths brain, but I'm never going to be Einstein, but I can get better than where I was to start with. Yep, so true. Practice makes perfect, as cliche as it is. So, Emily, I would like to leave your listeners with maybe just learn something about you without your professional hat. So, obviously, Stories in Public Health is an awesome podcast. Um, But tell us, are there any other podcasts that you listen to other than your own, that um, whether it be to inspire you, to challenge you, or just entertain you that you could recommend to your listeners? I have to be honest, I haven't read or listened to any podcasts this whole year. <laughs> Thanks, Cooper. <laughs> With a little baby at home. But before, I used to listen to Chat 10, Look 3. I really like, that's probably one of my absolute favourites. Yeah, you're not the only one. Dr. Anita Haywood from UNSW is a... She's the one who's got me it. Loves it. Tells me all the time. I, I, I have to get onto it. With a little person as well, I haven't listened to any podcasts either, other than stories in public health. So I guess with that, I would like to thank you for your time. I have really enjoyed chatting with you. And as I said, I've learned already so much more about you. And thank you for having the courage to be interviewed.